very appropriate song in light of our present sermon series on telling others the good news. This has been sort of a short little mini-series that I trust has been very, very practical, directed at believers on how to share your faith with others. And we've talked often in the past messages that this is an area that often grips Christians with fear. And that fear often paralyzes us from uh, really reaching out uh, to the lost. But we need to understand uh, that fear is normal. Uh, You're not uh, weird or unusual, nothing wrong with you. Uh, I'll give you a great example of that, uh, the Apostle Paul, who we consider what probably the greatest champion uh, for Christ that uh, ever lived. Uh, He faced this continually in his own life. Uh, When he wrote the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, he, uh, early in the book, he's remembering when he initially went to the city of Corinth uh, to uh, share the gospel and to uh, plant the church there, and this is what he said. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. So he acknowledges that even as a great champion of faith that he struggled with fear, that uh, he literally trembled and he didn't come with persuasive words. He often seemed to be stuttering over what he was uh, sharing. But it's amazing how he completes that verse. uh, Despite the fact that he was feeling fear, he was trembling He said, but you experienced the demonstration of the Spirit and power. And so, again, uh, the lesson here is what? We cannot let fear dictate our Christian lives. Uh, God asks us to step out in faith despite our fear, trusting as we do. uh, He will come along our side and give us the grace that we need. Well, today's message, if I hope you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, is uh, Lesson 5 on how to have spiritual conversations uh, with, uh, with non-Christians. And uh, so let's just take a moment to uh, review, and especially uh, briefly just last Sunday. Last Sunday's message was on uh, building uh, friendships and relationships uh, with non-believers. So let's just review, Uh, notice that first statement, the Christian's responsibility, and this is something we've emphasized throughout this series, the Christian's responsibility is to bring Christ to non-Christians. It's God's responsibility to bring non-Christians to Christ. Now pause right there, because it is important to remind ourselves of what our role is and God's role is in this matter of evangelism, reaching out to the lost. You and I cannot save anyone. Only God can do that. And that should take a great weight off of our shoulders, that only God can save. And we saw that God does that uh, through the power uh, of the Holy Spirit to convict uh, the sinner's heart and through the inherent power that's in the gospel message itself. Uh, Concerning the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, and He, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, 
He will convict the world of three things. First, concerning what? Their sin. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He'll also convict them of what? Righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Again, how how far short we fall of His standard of righteousness. And then of judgment. For the wages of sin is death. And so the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon the lost heart to bring conviction and draw that individual to the Lord Jesus. And then concerning the gospel, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, what, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power, the dunamis, uh, the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So only God can bring a non-Christian to Christ. Our role is to bring Christ to the non-Christian. Now pick back up at the second sentence in your notes as we continue to review We bring Christ to non-Christians, and this was our focus last week, by making acquaintances, building friendships, and engaging in conversations with non-Christians while trusting God to open doors to tell the good news of salvation through Christ. Contacts lead to conversations, and conversations lead to conversions. Now, pause again right there for a moment. Our role is crucial. Although God is the only one that can bring a non-Christian to Christ, God uses the witness of our lives, of our lips, to bring Christ to non-Christians, providing God then the opportunity to draw them to Christ. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 10, verses 13 through 15, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And that someone is who? You and me. Exactly right. You know, a great illustration is the analogy of the vine and branches that Jesus spoke of in John 15. Jesus is the vine. He's the source of our lives. We can do absolutely nothing apart from Him. But God in His sovereignty has chosen to work through His branches. We are God's instruments to extend His presence, to express the character of Christ through our lives, and to engage the lost in order to share the gospel. This is why Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry on earth, and we looked at this in the very first message, follow me and I will make you what? A fisher of men. Follow me, he says. I will make you a fisher of men. And then at the very end of his ministry, right before he ascended to heaven, he said, and you shall be my witnesses. You, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So pick back up at the very last sentence of that first paragraph. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 8 provides the pattern for effective relational evangelism. And this was our focus the last time uh, I taught, which was two weeks ago. Appreciate Jonathan filling in for me uh, last Sunday. And uh, in that message, we looked at three truths that you'll see there in review. First, we need to think differently about what it means to be a Christian. And to be the church. It is not so much about coming to the church as it is being the church by walking as Jesus walked to seek and save the lost. Now again, I'm not 
diminishing the importance of coming together for corporate worship. But uh, church is more about just coming to an event, coming to a service. Uh, The church is the body of Christ. We are to walk as Jesus walked, to seek and save the lost, getting beyond the four walls of the church, invading our community. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5, Do nothing, absolutely nothing, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard others more important than yourselves. Regard those lost individuals more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Look to their interests. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who literally left the glories of heaven to come to the ghettos of this sin-cursed world In order to what? Seek and save those who are lost. And then the second truth that we looked at, I have to free myself to become involved with non-Christians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, again referring to Jesus' example, who although he existed in the form of God, in the very essence of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to selfishly cling on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. In the same way, we are called to free ourselves, to focus on lost people, and to pour our lives into their lives in order that they might come to know the preciousness of our Savior. And then that third truth, we're to connect with lost people in sustained and sacrificial relational ministry to win them to Christ. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, again referring to Christ's example and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Again, a very deliberate, intentional act. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as believers, we are called to connect with lost people. And there are many different ways we can do that. I I praise God for the many ministries He has raised up uh, through this church over the years that provide that opportunity. I'm not going to mention all of them, but just a few. You know, we just started our tutoring ministry back up. Uh, It was so great to see those uh, kids coming in this past week that are struggling with their reading skills, the little first, second, and third graders, and to see our tutors working uh, with them. And, and again, we're meeting a very practical need, but why does this ministry exist? To reach those children for Jesus, to reach their families uh, for Christ. So that is one way we connect in sacrificial ministry and an ongoing ministry to build those relationships, have that opportunity. I think of our Awana ministry that picked back up uh, a few weeks ago uh, that we started way back in the 80s here at Edgewood Baptist Church. And I I, I have no idea uh, how many children over the years have come to know Jesus through our Awana ministry. I think of Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic, a ministry that we established in 1981. Um, And since that time, we've probably had close to 80,000 different women that have come through that ministry just right here in Columbus. And we've had uh, countless of those women that have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the primary purpose of that ministry. Again, we have so many practical ways to demonstrate the love of Jesus to these women that would find themselves in a problem or a crisis pregnancy. 
And we have that opportunity to provide a window into the womb that they can see the precious sanctity and humanity of that child to turn from abortion, to choose life for those little ones. And there have been thousands that have been saved. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, it, it just blows my mind away to think that many of the babies that were saved in the early years of that ministry are now in their upper 30s. And impacting our world for the Lord, uh, we have Melanie here, and uh, her baby was one of them. It's not a baby anymore, and she just gave her birth to her third child in marriage, and just a beautiful girl that loves Jesus and is following him, and and, uh, there's so many other testimonies uh, uh, like that. Uh, I think of our military ministry. You know, we, uh, Dan Prescott, David Kelly, and some others, on Sundays, uh, they go out to Fort Benning, and they conduct chapels for these uh, new recruits going through boot camp. And they have literally seen hundreds and hundreds of these young men uh, come to know uh, Christ. Uh, Feed the Hungry, uh, a ministry that we've recently begun. We're reaching out to homeless in our community uh, for the exact purpose to share Christ with them. Our Meals on Wheels program where we provide a hot nutritional meal for elderly and shut-in. But it's not just the meal, it's the relational end, the companionship end where we have an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus to them. Uh, You'll be hearing in uh, within the next few weeks uh, about uh, the possibility of you getting involved in jail ministry. We have uh, several of our men that have begun to go into the Muscogee County Jail on a regular basis to uh, share Christ. And uh, Paul Cartwright is one of those. And I know uh, uh, Jerry Goldsmith. And we're going to have Paul share in the next few weeks, especially to you men, how you can uh, get involved in this ministry as well. Of course, we've mentioned Love Indeed, the second weekend in October, where we have the opportunity to build so many bridges Uh, to the lost in this community for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And then we have Love Indeed 365, where every one of our Sunday school classes are asked to adopt a particular outreach ministry, where they're getting outside their Sunday school, outside the church, to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. So there are many, many opportunities. But, of course, what we're focusing in on this ministry is you personally uh, becoming alert, attentive, to the loss that God brings into your world because that's the, that's the pond God wants you to fish in and wants you to uh, connect to, 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 to their lives. Now, follow along your notes now. How to turn a conversation into an opportunity to tell others the good news, uh, to others the good news. And look at that first truth. First, It's so important to realize the simplicity of this, but it's very profound. You will never have a conversation with a non-Christian until you first intentionally seek to make contact with a non-Christian. Again, just pause right there. This is where every one of us as believers needs to begin, including myself. We need to evaluate our lives. I need to sit back and reflect on my life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Where am I coming into contact with lost people? I need to think that through. So I've begun to be more intentional and deliberate in praying for them and looking opportunities to engage them uh, just as a friend, uh, to have the opportunity to build a conversation uh, with them. And many of us may say, you know, as I make that evaluation, I don't come into contact with lost people. You know, it's, it's just the church and my friends here at the church. 
And if that's the case, we need to change our lives. Just like Jesus left heaven, relocated his life to connect with you and I, we need to take the initiative to get involved, to make that uh, connection. And then continue in that statement, like Jesus, you are to be a friend of sinners. And a friend of sinners without, notice now, being intimidated by differences in beliefs, values, and lifestyles. Do not expect the non-Christian to become a cultural Christian in order to adopt your values before he's a converted Christian. You know, we uh, talked about this in the very first message in this series. We must realize that non-Christians do the things they do because of their sinful condition. Why would we expect anything different? Therefore, like Christ, with great compassion... We must look beyond their faults to see their spiritual needs and love them. There can be no change on the outside until there's a change on the inside. And only the gospel can produce that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can produce that transformation and change that we sang about earlier this morning. You know, in the Christian community, there is far too much righteous indignation over what's happening in our culture today. Now, don't misunderstand me. I understand that righteous indignation. I have it as well. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong that that's there, but here's the point I want to make. There's far too much righteous indignation, but far too little brokenness. Our hearts should be broken over the condition of lost people. Our hearts should be broken over what we're seeing happening in our culture. So yes, the righteous indignation is fine, but let's ask God to break our hearts, to give give us His compassion for the loss, as the one who wept over Jerusalem because of their unwillingness to submit uh, to Him. In other words, we complain about the disease while the whole time we possess the only cure. And we do nothing to pass it on to others. That's what I'm talking about. The fact that we do so much complaining about the disease, what we're seeing happening, while the whole time we possess the cure and do absolutely nothing to pass it on to others. Going back to your notes, get this down, fill in those blanks. Bottom line. Although Jesus expects communication without contamination, in other words, he wants us to communicate with the lost, to engage the lost, but yes, without contamination, without compromise, maintaining uh, a righteous, holy, loving uh, attitude and lifestyle, reality is we cannot communicate effectively without contact. So this is where we have to begin. Where do I have contact with lost people? And begin to be more deliberate and intentional, praying for those individuals, looking for opportunities to engage with them. In Luke 15, 2, we discover the, the example of Jesus that we're to follow. It says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's talking about your Lord, your Master. It says, this man, he receives, that word receives means... He gladly celebrated them. He welcomed them into his life. He enjoyed socializing with them, eating with them, spending time with them. 
And that is what provided him the opportunity to have conversations with them. And through those conversations, open doors to share about salvation to them. You know, this passage is not in your sermon notes, but uh, it's a good uh, correlation here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul makes an interesting uh, statement that fits well here. He says, um, let me see. Well, let me find it. Okay, okay, here it is. No, that's not it either. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I got it now. Actually, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I had the wrong chapter. He said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. In other words, he wrote them this letter, and he says, if you got someone who claims to be a brother or a sister in Christ, but their life is a, being lived in total contradiction of who Jesus is and his character, uh, then he says there needs to be some discipline there. You need to remove yourself in terms of uh, fellowshipping uh, with them. You need to pray for them and continue to reach, try to reach them to, to be brought to repentance. But he wanted to make it very clear. Now, when I told you that, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to tell you to, to disassociate with the immoral of this world or the covetous or the idolaters. Because those are the very people that you're called uh, to reach. Uh, look there at your notes at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. This is all about engaging lost people. He says, you are the salt of the world. And you've heard me say this from the pulpit before. In the Greek text, the way that that literally would read is you are the salt of the world and you and you alone are the salt of the world. In other words, if you don't function as I've created you to function as believers, there is no one else to do it. You're it. So you and you alone are the salt of the world. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Again, that emphasis, we, although we, make engaged, we get engaged with the loss, we connect. We can't become contaminated. We can't compromise our, our faith, our, our walk with, with Christ. Because it says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But the point there being is salt doesn't do any good if it stays in the shaker, right? You have to dispense it. You have to sprinkle it. You have to disperse the salt uh, for it to have flavor, for it to have the opportunity to re retard corruption as salt does. And then he uses the analogy of light. You are the light of the world. And again, in the Greek, you are the light of the world, and you alone are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And what's happened in so many of our churches, uh, the light is being contained inside the four walls here. And, and we're covering that light up. No, he wants us to get outside the four walls of the church, to walk as Jesus walked, to be that salt, to be that light, to engage the lost. Look at the second truth. The second truth. There is only one gospel message, 
But since people differ, there are many ways to introduce the message. There's only one gospel message. But since people differ, there are many ways to introduce the message. Look at Paul's example on this point in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. He says, I have, encircle that word, become. He says, I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now again, when Paul says this, he doesn't mean that he compromises his Christian faith. But he says, as I reach out to lost people, I do my best at relating to them, identifying with them, and, and, and meeting them in their culture where they are at uh, to uh, have that opportunity to uh, share with them. Look at the next statement uh, in your uh, notes which is so important. Effectiveness in reaching people for Christ is directly related to the ability to become. And what I mean by that is the ability to understand, identify with, and relate to the person you are talking to. You know, you can look at it this way. Every lost person, and I think this is important to see this truth, every lost person is God's gift to you. Every lost person he brings in your life, whether it's a family member, whether it's a co-worker, um, somebody at school, in your neighborhood, uh, and no matter how irregular or difficult, hard that person might, every lost person is God's gift to you. He, it's God's gift to give you the opportunity to become like Christ, to become like Christ, and to learn to love as he loved. So I need to continually be praying, Lord, teach me. Teach me how to become a friend of sinners like you were a friend of sinners. Teach me to love the godless, the agnostic, the liberal. Teach me to love the immoral, the homosexual, the abortionist, the feminist, the prideful, the power hungry, the selfish, the addicted, the downcast. Even the religious self-righteous. And even those who hate me and, and my Christian faith. And we must remember, as we talked about in a previous message. I believe it was the second message in this series. Love is a choice. To invest in the life of another person that will often run contrary to your feelings. You're going to be frightened. It, it, there is going to be a, tr a tremendous awkwardness about this. But love makes that choice to invest, although it runs contrary to those feelings. So don't let that feeling of awkwardness stop you. Realize there's only one way to learn how to love people. And that's to practice love. There's no other way. I mean, if you're going to sit there and wait until you don't feel awkward or there's no more fear or anxiety, it never will happen. You will go to your grave never engaging lost people for the Lord Jesus Christ. You only learn love through the practice of love. And yes, as you engage, you will make mistakes, but you will learn from those mistakes. That's okay. But let love be the thing that leads you. Look at the third truth. So very, very important, this third truth that we often neglect. Those most effective in telling others the good news are not those who are great talkers, but those 
who are great listeners. The most, uh, those most effective in telling others the good news are not those who are great talkers, but those who are great listeners. As you see there, learn to ask good questions and practice good listening in order to get to know the person as a unique and valued individual. Show an interest in the world in which they live. In other words, have a holy curiosity. It's, it's your, your immediate goal is not to share anything with them. It's, it's to get to know them. It's to get to, to, to learn them, to let them know that you're really interested in them and the world in which they live. So begin by asking questions every person is an expert on, their family, their job, their background, and their interest. And the entire time, be listening for a way to move the conversation to spiritual things. You know, uh, just a, a quick example here. I was uh, traveling recently. I was on a plane going to a speaking engagement in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, actually, uh, uh, prior to the hurricane coming in. And there was a, a, a young man sitting t- uh, next to me uh, in his probably upper 20s, and I began to uh, uh, just converse with him, uh, discovered that he was a, a, a policeman. Uh, I had a girlfriend. They were uh, living together. He was uh, working uh, in a police department up in New Jersey, and he was coming to Wilmington, uh, to interview. He wanted to get on the police force uh, there. And so I just began peppering him with questions about, uh, he, you could tell he loved uh, serving as a policeman, and I just began asking him a lot of questions about where he was presently serving and sort of what the situations were like and uh, what he, what he had, had faced. And, and again, the whole time, you know, you're asking these questions and you're listening, you're, you're looking for opportunities. And as he was sharing about the this uh, very depressed area where there was a lot of crime, I, I suddenly thought about our Mission Church Highland community. And some of you know the history of, of this wonderful church, this wonderful work. And so I took the opportunity to share him that testimony. I said, hey, I said, you know, uh, I said, we, we started this Mission Church, and when it first established, it, it, they had the highest crime rate of any area in the city. And yet the presence of the church has begun to transform that community. And so many have come to know Christ. And there's been educational initiatives and uh, uh, initiatives dealing with upgrading the community itself, the, 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 the housing. And he became very excited about that, uh, to, to see the change that had been made. And so as I'm sharing that with him, uh, I had the opportunity to share, you know, the, the, the pastor and his wife that, that, that got involved in this work, they knew to be effective, they had to move right into that community. And they realized what the only thing that could change it was the truth about Jesus Christ. And so I had an opportunity to actually share with him uh, the gospel by just giving the testimony of Highland. So you just, you just look for those opportunities. You know, you may be talking to somebody and they express that they've just recently lost a loved one, a grief, and that might trigger you to share your own testimony, that maybe a grief experience that you had and how God came along your side and gave strength. So you're asking questions, you're listening, but it's an active listening and you're looking for opportunities to shift the conversation into spiritual things. Now look there, examples of questions to ask. And this is not an exhaustive list, this is just to get you thinking. Where are you from? 
Where were you born? How long have you lived here? Do you enjoy where you are living now? Are you married? Where's your spouse from? How did you meet? Do you have brothers or sisters? Where do they live? How, how many are in your present family? What are their interests? What do you do for a living? How long have you worked there? Um, do you enjoy it? What do you or don't you enjoy? Have any hobbies or interests? What do you do for rest and relaxation? If you could do anything you wanted for a job, what would it be? So again, that's not an exhaustive list, and I'm not putting this down for you to try to memorize that list, but we're, we're just talking about just being tactful and being polite, putting the focus on them, that right now they're the most important person in your life, and therefore you want to get to know who they are. You want to get to know what their interests are, and you want to look for opportunities to relate, to identify with them. And to begin to build that relationship with them. And then as they share their answers, look for opportunity to express. And I put this down here purposely. It's a review from last week. And the first thing is you want to look for every opportunity to express acceptance. Which makes them feel secure with you. Now I'm not talking about condoning sinful behavior or attitudes that's destructive to them and others. I'm talking about where you can just show genuine, unconditional love, regardless of where they might be. And then appreciation. We talked about this. Look for opportunities to verbally look right in their eyes and express genuine appreciation. Like when I was talking to that policeman, I had, I had the opportunity. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. And, and, and putting your life on the line every single day in some very, very difficult uh, situations, and, and I, I appreciate what you're doing, and I, I want to pray for you uh, in that. And then availability, which makes them feel important to you. Let them know that you are available to them, especially if they express a, a need. Uh, and again, it may be availability in prayer, that uh, if they're dealing with some sickness or injury or a loved one, just a simple thing like, I just want you to know that I'll be praying for you in that situation, and I would appreciate you keeping me updated so I could know better how to pray. Look at James chapter 2, verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Circle the word neighbor. Now, how do you love your neighbor? We don't need to make this complicated. You love your neighbor by being a neighbor to them. You know, the word neighbor... That actual word comes from a root that means to be near or to be close by. Therefore, notice the simplicity of this, to be a neighbor is to draw near to someone, to get close to someone. And to draw near presupposes what? That there's distance between you. It suggests that there are obstacles to nearness where I must take the initiative to overcome so that I can get close to that individual. As stated earlier, we often become intimidated by the differences we have with lost people concerning their beliefs and values and lifestyles, but we cannot let that stop us from being a neighbor to them, reaching out to them, expressing that unconditional acceptance, that appreciation, making ourselves available, looking for the opportunity to get to know them, relate to them, identify with them, and then relaxing and trusting God to open the door to go deeper in my conversation with them. Look at the fourth truth. While talking to the person, always whisper a prayer to God. 
asking him to provide the opportunity to turn the conversation to spiritual things and to give you boldness to do so. Look at how Paul asked people to pray for him. This, this is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 9. He's actually asking them, would you please pray for me? And this is what he says. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And, and that's what you need to pray for yourself. See, the reason I think this is so important, God loves lost people more than anyone else. And I'm abs- I, I am a firm believer, I'm absolutely convinced, if I will just engage with lost people, if I will, just like we've been talking about, just being a friend, just getting to know them, identify, relate to them, and the whole time with this attitude for looking for opportunities, whispering that prayer to God, because God does love lost people, because God does desire them to come, He's going to open a door. And I just need to be alert to that. And when that door opens, to take that opportunity to share my testimony, or maybe like I mentioned the testimony of of Highland. So often I'll use the testimony of one of you. How many times have I used the testimony of Jeremy Williams in sharing with lost people? And I've used other of y'all's testimonies in sharing with people. Not just my own, but yours as, as, as well. And uh, so important uh, to make that your prayer. And then look at the fifth and the final truth as we sort of close. Well, no, there's one more. Five and six. Uh, proceed from the secular to the spiritual and then to the gospel, which should be pretty obvious. Proceed from the secular to the spiritual and then to the gospel. See, having asked questions that we talked about in point three above, getting to know them, uh, gaining an understanding of who they are, uh, where they're from, what their answers are, uh, you can now look for opportunities to ask spiritual questions. Questions like, again, not an exhaustive list, just getting you thinking. Because since every person's different, the situation's going to be different. The opportunity's going to be different. Again, the message remains the same, but how we introduce it is going to be altered by the situation and the conversation and everything that comes up. But questions like, do you enjoy reading about religious topics or subjects? Have you become involved in a, a church in your area? Have you ever examined some of the teachings of the Bible? You know, what do you think about them? Uh, with so many interests, are, do you have any interest in, in spiritual things? Uh, why do you think a lot of people across the world have an interest in some kind of religion or another? From time to time, uh, some people talk about Christ and Christians. Who, in your opinion, is Jesus Christ? Why do you suppose the problems of this world seem to be getting worse than better? What, in your opinion, is the number one thing people are looking for in their lives? Why do you think so many people seem unhappy with life in general? What do you think is in store for the future? A lot of people seem worried right now. What, in your opinion, worries people the most? So that's just, those are just examples. And as they respond to your questions, again, you look for the opportunity to share your testimony, to go into the gospel and to share how a, a person experiences salvation. And this can be simply done. And you remember in the third lesson, I actually taught you a method to share the gospel. We called it the bad news, the good news. And, uh, and again, if you missed that lesson, go to the church website. And you can get all the past messages. You can download the uh, sermon notes. And that entire presentation uh, is there. But this can be simply done by pointing out that the most important thing in life to know is where you're going when, when we die. So ask the question, has anyone ever taken the Bible 
and shown you how you, uh, uh, that you can know you are going to heaven? And if they say no, you know, no one's ever done that, then ask, well, may I? Will you give me permission to do so? And if they say yes, then share with them that bad news, good news presentation or whatever presentation of the gospel that you've learned or are comfortable, uh, comfortable with. And then that sixth and final truth, which is an important one to close on, a humble attitude. A humble attitude, not a hostile argument, will win the loss to Christ. A humble attitude... Not a hostile argument will win the loss to Christ. Look at that uh, passage from 2 Timothy. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You, you know that they just breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his impo- opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You know, I remember the first time I witnessed to my brother Mark. It wasn't received very well on that first occasion. And, uh, and it was years later before he came to know Jesus. Uh, I, I think of another young man that I, was, uh, I uh, developed a relationship with. And uh, the door opened up for me to be able to share the gospel with him. And I'll never forget the first time I shared the gospel with him. He, I'm not embellishing. This was literally his response. He balled up his fist like this, and he looked up into heavens, and he says, I will never bow my knee to any God. And I just smiled and said, I love you. I'll be praying for you. And I maintained my relationship with him, my friendship, and eventually God broke him and, and humbled him. But it's very important that we maintain that humble attitude that we do not become quarrelsome. Uh, we need, again, just plain tact will cover a lot of it, being sensitive. You can't, again, only God can save. I can't force the issue if the person is not open. If that's the case, if they're unwilling to talk, I just back off. I realize they're not ready. I, I continue to pray for them. I don't remove myself from their lives. I look for opportunities to stay invested, to stay engaged, but you just you become sensitive and tender to that. So I, I trust, I know this is a little different type of message, uh, and, uh, and I trust it's been very practical, and it will uh, provoke you to further uh, uh, contemplating, meditating on this thing, evaluating your life, and, and again, you say, where should I begin? Uh, this is my. This is what I would suggest. Very simple. Identify one lost person. Just one lost person. It may be a family member. It may be a neighbor. Maybe a coworker. Maybe one lost person. Begin praying for them on a regular basis. And as you pray for them, pray for yourself. God, give me the opportunity to build a relationship, to build a friendship. Give me the boldness first just to step out, just to get to know them as a person. And, and, and then as I do, I'm going to just look to you. I'm going to be relaxed, you know, I'm going to re- and I'm going to trust that you're going to open the door. But you need to be intentional, deliberate, looking for that open door because God will open it. Believe me, he will open it. He'll provide the opportunity. And then when he does, you take that opportunity to share your testimony, your testimony of someone else that could relate or uh, use an open door to share the gospel, that g- bad news, good news, whatever it might be. And that's where you begin. And then ask God 
just to help you become deliberate and intentional 24-7 here. That no matter where you're at, you want to become conscious of lost people. And you don't want to be oblivious of that. And you want to look for opportunities. Again, put a smile on your face and just show them common courtesy. And again, reach out to, to get to know them and to love them and look for that opportunity. Amen? So everybody can do that. Every member of Edgewood can do that. You pick out one person, and that's where you begin. And then just trust God to give you that, that uh, opportunity. As we extend the invitation today, I've just given the invitation to those of you that are believers. Because really, this message and, and this series of messages will mean absolutely nothing if you don't act on it. Uh, and I don't know any other way to act on this message than to do what I just challenged you to do, to actually identify a person, put a name, a face, and to begin praying for that person. Look for opportunities to reach out, engage that person in conversation, and, uh, and then just trust God as you do and go down the road. He'll open doors and then uh, seize those opportunities as He gives them to you. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, uh, yes, this was a message to believers on a sharing with non-Christians, uh, but uh, I hope you hear, we're, share this because we love you. And we're concerned about your eternal destiny because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible does say the wages of sin is death, and that death is separation from God, not only in this life, but in eternity. And Jesus left heaven, as we mentioned, and he came to this world to die for sinners, to die for you, to die for the penalty of your sin, to cancel that sin debt out before God, and to then deposit to your account all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that transaction takes place through faith in Christ. As you put your trust, not in your efforts to gain God's approval, but as you put your total trust in what Jesus did for you through his death, burial, and resurrection, and you receive that as God's gift of grace to you, placing your confidence, again, in him for salvation. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that what? Whosoever believes in him, what? Will not perish, but will what? Have everlasting life. So if you're an unbeliever, my challenge would be put your trust in Jesus. Come to know him as I did back September 20th, 1970. And it's the one decision in my life that I will never regret. That I am forever thankful for that I came into a relationship with God. You know, to, to me, the, the wonder of the wonders of God's love and mercy that I will never get over is it because of what He did for me in Jesus. God loves me as much as He loves His Son, Jesus. He's just as committed to protect me and to provide for me and to glorify me that I might finish the work He has for me on earth to do as He was committed to do for His Son. And that's His commitment to every believer. And uh, we want you to come into that relationship as well and uh, know His goodness and His grace and His mercy.